0: So here's something a little different. Uh, this is an interview with Tim Silverwood, uh, one of the co-founders, also the CEO of a non-profit in Australia called Take Three for the Sea. This year they're celebrating 10 years of helping reduce plastic on our beaches and educating the masses about the need for change Uh, I've known Tim a really long time he's a really great guy and he started it all on a bodyboard so that's kind of the other little connecting thread which many of you may not have known but yeah super cool guy enjoy this podcast I really did and learn more about take three for the sea enjoy A very warm welcome to the podcast, Tim Silverwood. Thanks, mate. Nice to be here. It's nice for me to be here. (laughs) Um we're sitting in the um in a in a quasi-public space in (laughs) Australia. It's uh what is it again? It's technically council it's a council reserve that yeah. backs onto a few properties, yeah. but that has no public access. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be a bad thing were it not for the fact that our little cottage just <laughs> happens to sidle up next to it. So I, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're happy with this public space and we'll use it, we'll use it. Uh, in this podcast episode for the listener, we're going to, I'm going to really go into a different space uh, for a change and I'm, I'm talking to Tim Silverwood who is the uh, co-founder or founder, you, there were other founders, yeah? Yeah, co-founder. Co-founder, yep. yeah, of Take3, um, which is an environmental initiative uh, which started in Australia but I'm not going to do the explaining of this initiative, um, I'm going to let the co-founder himself, one of three of Take3, tell you all about it. So whats Take3? Take3. Yeah, take three. We're an environmental organisation,
1: um, but we're really known for this simple call to action that encourages people to take three bits of trash when they leave a, a special place. So often that's seen as beaches, take three when you yeah. leave the beach. But we um, we recognise that the ocean is downhill from everywhere. So if you're on a mountaintop, if you're in a mm-hmm. city, no matter where you are on our planet, we're encouraging people to recognise that picking up that plastic. Is something simple we can all do to stop it getting into the oceans and waterways, whereas we know it has a disastrous impact on wildlife. Hmm. So that's the call to action, but then we're, as an organisation, we're very focused on uh, education and participation. So we go into schools and surf clubs and we work with communities to. Get people uh, on board with the very complex
0: solutions to solving our waste crisis. Mm. And and with this um, these complex solutions, what what are like? I mean, what are some of these complex solutions? Like, I mean, what's some examples that are in your um, field of vision right now? The one that really is
1: standing out is this idea of a circular economy. Uh-huh. And the circular economy is quite cryptic in its complexity. But mm. the best way I think of looking at it is just recognizing that. The economy of stuff that we currently operate in is very linear. We're Mm. taking resources from the earth. We're using non-renewable energy to make, sell and transport this stuff. And then it comes through human hands very rapidly before being disposed of. Mm. So it's no wonder that our oceans are filling up with trash and our landfills are overflowing and we're burning all this stuff because it's linear. Mm. It's designed to be thrown away. Yeah, so yeah. how can we shift that to much more circular systems where mm. in nature, we're surrounded by nature right now, yeah. everything here is growing and dying and returning back to systems in these per- perpetual cycles. So mm. let's learn from Mother Nature.
0: Yeah, let's learn. A really nice kookaburra just perched itself on a tree above us as well, which is kind of like, it's about as Australian start as laugh. it gets. Yeah. A I wanted to start laughing. I'd like that to come in the background, but we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Um, with a with a a non profit, you are a non profit. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the um, how did Take Three kick off in the very beginning? What's the origin story? So back in two
1: thousand and nine. So we'll be turning ten in October twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. And that was essentially where these three individuals, with their own unique backstory, happened to find themselves sitting around a coffee table, sharing this idea for Take Three for the Sea. So. It was Mandy and Roberta who came up with the concept. I'd been on my personal journey um, through studying sustainability at university, working mm. in various NGOs. We met back in Newcastle in those days well, yeah. we met before then, but we reconnected back in those days when I was yeah. living and working in Newcastle. But look, essentially it was, um, it was at this point where plastic pollution, marine debris was just starting to gain some traction. Mm. and um, I saw this opportunity to go wow this is a wonderful initiative that won't just help to physically stop plastic from entering the sea where it's gonna hurt and endanger animals Mm. it was that it could be this behavior change it could be this opportunity to get people being much more conscious of their human footprint Mm. so um, yeah we came together and we started very simply with just going out and doing education programs in schools and early learning centers before eventually growing into this um, much more communications-oriented digital landscape. Mm. So since 2012, we've been really focusing on building our presence on social media, which has had a massive impact. We've had analysis performed recently, which found that take three for the sea hashtag, Mm. nice and catchy, um, on Instagram has been used in 129 countries. And when you uh, look at the cumulative totals of what people from this global community are pulling out from the environment, it's over 10 million pieces of trash every year. Whoa. So that's an astounding yeah, impact. Yeah, that's crazy. Given that it's just a handful of trash here yeah. and there to you and
0: I. 10 million. But simple actions when multiplied truly do have a yeah. phenomenal impact. They do, they do. It's funny, I, I had a interview recently with uh, Dave Rastovich um, who nobody knows about. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like a, a professional free surfer or surfer and, um, a real activist he's been quite on the front lines with initiatives and i asked him the question of like has because oh the kookaburra flew away um because like he's been there before social media and then after social media like the world has changed a lot in terms of how organizations do their thing when it comes to um non-profits or initiatives like take three for the sea have you noticed like so i mean i'm maybe you've already answered the question to an extent but was it is it is social media just an overwhelming good when it comes to trying to do the work that you do or was it also quite good when you were more hands-on and face-to-face talking to people i guess we've done both yeah
1: i like to tell people that we operate on those two planes so we've got this digital uh, experience that we're offering yeah and it is growing definitely way more rapidly than our grassroots stuff but yeah. we're still doing the grassroots stuff so a lot of our revenue still comes from our project partners that are now enable and empower us to go and talk to young leaders in schools and surf clubs and communities yeah. so we're um we're operating on both but certainly i mean the global impact that we've been able to have has purely been fueled by social media so yeah in that regard, it's been an overwhelming good.
0: Yeah, he he. It was a funny conversation I had with him because he he kind of found that there's a lot of noise on social media as well, and so there's actually it's quite hard to cut through sometimes on initiatives. And he said, you know, a lot of his, I think, you know, a lot of to paraphrase him, you know, a lot of the successes he had was when it was very much more face to face. Like he he still digs the face to face, and like he said, he recognizes that it works. But it was interesting to hear that like. spanned those two periods in in communications and and engagement and um he said yeah like it's it was still it's still pretty good just to be in a room with people talk to them about the issue and then the social network the physical social networks can do its job you know like it's um that's a question i feel a lot people look mm. at what take three has been able to do i think we've got over
1: social media followers right now and of yeah. course the question is how did you do that and yeah yeah there's no answer there's nah. no formula that we followed and i think a lot of it it began with that grassroots activism we yeah. spent so many years out there doing that face-to-face the yeah. amount of school kids i've spoken to the amount of community events i've run showing documentary films mm. that is what really built that foundation of like okay these guys mean business They're yeah, out there yeah. day-to-day doing it yeah The social media stuff is really just that, um, the icing on the cake to complement all of that. Mm. But it's also, um, you know, the answer to social media success is just really working with people who understand it because it is such a powerful tool if you utilize in the right way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think it's a, I'm a, I'm a fan, obviously I'm on it all the time and I think it has a really, um, can have a really powerful effect if it's used correctly. Mm. Um, the origin story of Take Three is one thing, but you know I want to I want to add uh, a little another origin story because when you and I first met, I think it was uh, oh man it must be how long ago must it be? be you have been about seventeen. Yeah, pretty young. Yep. So oh, how old am I? It was like eighteen years ago, I reckon. Then. Yeah. We were in a car on the Central Coast going to check the surf
1: and we end up um, surfing your minor point i think we is, did yeah
0: so we surfed your minor point it was massive swell yeah and everywhere was too big um and i think we was carried down i think he was in the car yeah. and i think um paul simon or paul simon. melnick yeah yeah so um that was pretty classic and um so the reason why we're all cruising in that car was and many people maybe don't realize this about you but you know you were a bodyboarder back in the day right that's it that was yeah. my uh my entry into the ocean was
1: through these incredible two friends, Kerry Down and uh, Simon Melnick, and, yeah. and Paul Melnick. Used to, he was the first to get his license a few years older. So we'd oh, spend he every. He became popular
0: pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, every early <laughs>
1: morning, every weekend, we'd be we'd be bolting out in his old little Ford Laser that we called the Brown Hornet. The Brown Hornet. And we'd make a bee line to to Foresters Beach or yeah. to Baddow
0: Bay to surf all these incredible reef breaks sick. that are around that part of the world sick and so when did like so with, with your kind of as a bodyboarder like how did you first get into it do you remember like your kind of start on the lip yeah so it would have been kerry
1: originally so kerry and i have known each other since we were about probably 10 or 11 years old and his father was into windsurfing so there yeah. was a spot on the coast that he used to go windsurfing and we'd just naturally go along and yeah. and frolic about on these uh, on these bodyboards that yeah. kerry had and eventually it sort of progressed, and we got our own boards, and then we started to catch the bus out um, on weekends with friends, and we just became absolutely, uh, absolutely hooked. So yeah, I was sort of on the lid from as early as 10 years old, but yeah. probably around those years of, of 14 to to 18 was when I just really fell into it, and we'd just froth out, going and chasing every swell, trying to surf the
0: uh, the craziest ledges we could throw ourselves yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, and there's plenty of those on the Central Coast to to throw yourself over and carry down maybe for those who don't know who this is um, um, I'm a he he was well he was one of the charges on the Central Coast as well I remember like in and he featured quite a lot in a few of uh, Ian Stewart's films the Oceanic Images films back in the day and um, he would just throw himself over whatever uh, like he was fearless he was quite fearless yeah and um,
1: now is I think he may still occasionally get on the lid Hayden Bunting was obviously another very influential figure around them but they also really successfully, those two, made the switch across to, to stand up and um, yeah. and really, really sort of showed incredible style and prowess on, on shortboards.
0: But yeah. I mean, Hayden, I think now he's still, is he on the lid much? I think he just mixes it up, mixes as far up. as I can yeah. tell. Yeah, I think he's definitely still a fan. I've seen some good shots of Kerry um, at a few slabs, like definitely keeping. He's definitely in control of what's going on yeah, So like he's a charger uh, yeah it's super interesting um to see that so so i mean you mentioned hayden bunting um as like was he maybe one of the guys that you you guys looked up to back then or is it more like who were the who were the guys that inspired you on a local level when you were bodyboarding back then? Yeah, on the look, Coast? Um,
1: Matt and Nick Rushton, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Hayden. They were definitely
1: the um, the premier charges. Yeah. Um, obviously, the stand up community up there was pretty powerful with guys like Jughead. Yeah, Jughead. Um, man, and that and some changes. other real charges. Yeah. So. Look, that um, those years were. It was really. It was a rich little community, a rich little fabric. But there was also. Plenty of ego and pride involved, and totally. that's what drives people to charge. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. They'll never forget some images of, of of the slab that we're both probably thinking of. Yeah, most. I'm just
0: not naming people it. <laughs> just pushing themselves so hard, but spectacular stuff. Yeah, and like that, that wave in particular. Um, yeah, it's been. Um, oh, we, I'd love to go back and try it out again because it's intense. Yeah. It's so intense, and like it's one of those spots where you can get a nice little chip into it. And 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 get behind the peak and and but get a chip make, in. Yeah, but miss <laughs> a chip in, and you're just falling. You know, so it's um yeah, it's a pretty special spot. And um and yeah, so I mean, looking back on that time when you were that young bodyboarder, were you an environmentally driven guy from an early age, or were you, or did this come later with like university education kind of opening your eyes, or was it already there? No, big thanks to to my mum
1: and and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. Um, what really gave me, I think, the, the impetus to explore it further was growing up in nature. So I grew up on 25 acres of bush, about 15 minutes from from those surf breaks that we're talking about. So, yeah. And Kerry was the same. He grew up on land, and so we'd be out riding bikes and motorbikes and hiking and just being in nature. And I think. Um, that was really formative for me because I realized that I was just a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And so when that came across to being in the ocean, which at mm. first was relatively new territory for me, I felt that same way. I felt like I was a, a visitor to this very exquisite um, system. So yeah. when I saw bait bags, even as a teenager,
0: I'd be paddling out past oh, the waves, and up bloody, a Those little bloody, like a bag of prawns and stuff, Yeah, huh? exactly, like that's tweed cra- bait or whatever so, you tweed, tweed bait.
1: How iconic is that, Randy? I know, I know. You'd paddle over to it. You, you might miss your spot in the lineup as a result, but it just felt like that's matter out of place. No one had told me about the consequences of that on wildlife. It was more just like, that doesn't belong here. Yeah. And I'm going to go and take it out. Yeah, yeah. So I think I've got a lot of that very innate qualities but it was certainly exacerbated throughout my, even high school, geography, yeah. some formative teachers yeah. that brought the world t- into my mind. Yeah. Um, and then at university, you know, my sustainability studies were very much focused on the origins of sustainability and the various philosophies. Yep. And I found that just so intriguing. It all started to make sense to me. Hmm. We as a species have to learn how to m- coexist with these millions and millions of other species that we don't really even know much about yet. Yeah. And then the icing on top of all of that was going and traveling and backpacking in my 20s, where I then got to see the problem firsthand. I got to see what millions and billions of people living on a continent could actually do in terms of the damage they could have.
0: Yeah. What's the worst thing you've seen in terms of the, the, the like, just just breathtaking damage? Can you paint the picture? Yeah, I think, I mean, my aha
1: moment, of which there are probably multiple, but was when I would have been 27 years old. I'd just done a nine-month backpacking odyssey through Asia, Mm. and that culminated in the top of India in Kashmir. Yeah, right. I was there to go snowboarding in the Himalayas. It was amazing. But I discovered that all the trash that was being generated in this small mountain village, of which probably 30% of the population at this time of year was Westerners, Uh was being picked up from all the hotels and guest houses and then just dumped over the side of the mountain. Uh Oh, So even though I'd disposed of my rubbish in the bins in the hotel, right. it was now polluting the Himalaya <laughs> because that's the system that they had in place. So at that point in time, I realized how embroiled I as an individual was, whether I liked it or not.
0: Yeah, When, but like on this image, like I had imagery just then of um, of literally like a dump truck just backing up to the edge of a mountain, like a sheer drop and just like, beep, 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 that's and then like <sighs> And like just falling through the
1: sky. Yeah. And I've got, I've got, I use some of that, uh, I captured footage of it. So yeah, I used right. that in some of my presentations. But yeah, it was just this tractor. And then all the snow monkeys would come out and they'd pick through the, the edible organic stuff. But the rest of it would just slowly make its journey from the highest mountain range on earth to yeah. the sea. And there's that beautiful imagery of my would, trash
0: still undertaking still getting journey its to journey. The sea. <laughs> but like, would that then, would it be? Reaching the Ganges, would that be the? Is it the Ganges no, sort of over there? it's on the other Which, side. So okay. that would go down
1: through the um, sort of the northwestern side of. It will probably flow out near Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And that was an aha moment. It was. It was. And I. I boldly thought that and I fell in love with this place in, in Kashmir so I went back three winters in a row Yeah, right. and when I went back I actually had these bold visions of transforming the waste structure there so yeah, that's cool. I tried to what did you do I met with all the development authorities I got all the locals on board and I said there's got to be a better way and tried to make a documentary film about it at yeah. the time I was really exploring storytelling for the yeah. first time yeah um but you know eventually I realized that you know, that's probably a little bit too much to try and uh, bite off. With How one old shop. are you? Like you would like... 27, yeah, okay. 28. All right. Yeah, so. All right. But then when I came back, I was like, well, at least if I'm living in this developed advanced economy, surely we can make a difference here. And, and we have, like we're doing a lot in developed cultures, but we've got a long way to go. And we have to rapidly influence these developing emerging cultures because... That's where most of the stuff in the ocean is coming from, unfortunately.
0: It is, yeah. I think I read an article, a paper recently, that the plastic is basically coming from maybe the majority of the plastic comes from like 10 rivers in, yeah, that's in right. the they world. They say 90% of the pollution entering the oceans
1: comes from 10 major river systems. That's crazy. Of which the Ganges is one. Yeah. There's um, And that sort of feeds into there's been a bit of controversy around plans to go into the ocean and clean it up when if that similar technology and investment was, you know, attributed closer to the source yeah then you're going to be able to be much more efficient with your stopping it getting to the ocean in the first place
0: I mean I think it's that one of those um discussions where for me it's not an either or it's Mm. both like it's kind of like yeah sure boy on slat is maybe who you're referring to with the, the big ocean cleanup thing and I know that the world is essentially um I think there's two I think there's two camps both of them are encouraging him one of them's encouraging him to succeed and the other one's encouraging him to fail Um, and I think people want to laugh at him in the ones that are going for the failure and the encouragement for success is like, yeah, this guy's going to do it and it's going to be awesome. That's one side of it and he's managed to pull in a lot of resources. Like, I mean, he's done a phenomenal job at actually attracting some very corporate level support. Um, But yeah, at the same time, there is this kind of reality of the, like I, I look at it more like a surgical interception, you know, like just accepting that cities are going to have things run off from them into the sea and that's reality because our systems aren't even the best places don't have bomb proof you know um collection systems and whatnot so we may as well have a secondary line of kind of defense to Mm. to pick it up um and then do you see the work of take three on the land trying to stop it in the first place in a in a more um conceptual uh you know in the education space is that where you see yourself or or maybe let me rephrase the question what is the hierarchy of responses to the plastic problem yeah look for me i think it's
1: about turning off the tap right there's a great image doing the rounds on social media now is where you know you walk into the bathroom the bathtub's overflowing do you go straight and get the mop and start cleaning up the water or do you go for the tap? Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. go for the tap, right? Yeah, because yeah, otherwise yeah. your efforts to clean it up are futile. So yeah. we recognize that cleaning up this stuff is never going to be the source of the solution. Yeah. It's part of it. Yeah, sure. What we want to try and do is get a whole new fabric of society looking at plastic and looking at excessive waste and going yeah right what were we thinking we can't Mm. actually do it like this so we're a Trojan horse we ask you just to take three bits of trash but the hope is once you do that you're then rethinking your use of single-use plastic, you're talking with your friends and family, you're becoming part of the movement. And in doing so, we get that critical mass that can help to influence corporates and governments to make those significant structural reform, mm. which is actually happening. Like I asked yeah. me this five years ago and I probably still would have been cynical about what was actually possible, but oh my gosh, it's actually happening right now.
0: What are some of the achievements that in this last five years that you're kind of most proud of or you see as really encouraging that you can share with the listener? Yeah, definitely the way mass media
1: has been able to work. So in the UK and Europe, they call it the Blue Planet Two effect. When okay. David Attenborough's second in the Blue Planet series came out with a major focus on plastic pollution, yeah. that led to mainstream broadcasters like Sky, Sky Ocean Rescue, and now there's incredible p- campaigns involving governments and corporations to really put this as a mainstream frontline. It's up there with climate change in many in many realms um, yeah. and many countries. Similarly in Australia, the war on waste series, absolute game changer. So all this sort of conversation was happening in these small micro climates, but suddenly it's just been exacerbated by mass media. Yeah. Um, certainly corporate leadership, they're all all the big corporates now are saying the right things. They all recognise that they can no longer dodge the plastic bullet mm. um, and some governments. But I think in Australia here in particular, government has been far too slow to act. And I'm uh, definitely passionate about trying to increase the, um, the action on, on plastic pollution and other ocean conservation issues here because we need to
0: influence our, our neighbours in the South Pacific and Southeast Asia mm. as quickly as we can. In your engagement with, um, with governments in particular, I mean, you, you, you do sound quite critical of the Australian um, approach, but do you find that, um, is it a left-wing thing? Do they grab onto it quicker than the right-wing? Or, or is it kind of like more opportunistic politics, where like, hey, we'll look good in this moment if we do something with Tim and actually make a decision here? Like, how have you seen the political ideologies interacting with this, um, with this issue? It's an easy win, like, no one's out there voting for a dirty beach. No. Nah. It's it's
1: completely across the, the, the political spectrum. Everyone's in support of, let's not litter, let's clean up our act, let's make places beautiful. Mm. Where it gets complicated is when the structural reform that's required will actually hurt the corporate bottom line. It, it, it yeah. is a disruption. So the case in point I guess I'd refer to is when For 10 years we've been fighting for the container deposit scheme, the 10 cent refund, which just felt so common sense. So when you use beverage containers, you return them for a 10 cent refund. Many jurisdictions around the world do it. So when we first started that, we were getting quite a lot of um, positive affirmation from the political spectrum. But behind closed doors, you've got the likes of Coca-Cola who they ended up suing the Northern Territory yeah, government for introducing a scheme. So they were clearly fundamentally opposed and clearly influencing some of the political landscape. Yeah. So you can't help but then become you know, cynical of, of, of politics. So what
0: was their problem with it though? Because in this container deposit scheme in Australia... Uh, you get 10 cents back for your bottle or can, is that right? That's right. And who's paying that 10 cents? Is it Coca-Cola who's meant to pay that 10 cents? That's right. Okay. So, but all that Coca-Cola needs to do is just add 10 cents to the price of a bottle of Coke in the first place, right? Yeah. And have they done that? Yeah. Okay, they've done that. Yeah. Have their sales been dramatically affected? No. No. I don't see it. And also, not that I've studied the sales of Coca-Cola, yeah. but I just assume that like if you're gonna drink a can of dirt, you're gonna yeah. drink a can of dirt. Like Look, setting
1: not. up the scheme yeah. costs hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Yeah. There's a lot of infrastructure and work required yeah. in setting it up. But fast forward to now, in the first um, 13 months of the scheme here in New South Wales, yeah. 1.3 billion bottles and cans have been returned. And this is not a conversation just to get more people to recycle it's about transforming our view of recycling. It's a gateway to the circular economy. Because we've got this culture in Australia that even when you recycle, you put it all in one bin and then you rely upon these facilities to then go and sort out all the materials so we can turn them into something. What you end up with is this horrid contaminated contaminated material which has got no value and you can't turn it back into new products when you use the recycling systems with the um, container deposit scheme. Cockatoos overhead. Cockatoos overhead. <laughs> you can sort out all the different material types at that point yeah. and you can then turn them back into high value products. So yeah. we need this completely revised approach to how we view resource recovery and that is a fantastic start.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. The reason why I was asking the question about the, about the um, political differences in the beginning though is like I've, I've kind of been playing around myself with this idea that like it often seems in politics like conservative leaders don't want to embrace some of these changes because I think a lot of them see them as you know greeny hippie things to do that you know just are incompatible with their belief system but there, but then I ask myself or I just talk to myself like hang on conservatism is kind of like conservation and that's about keeping things in a natural like it's about keeping things as they are and looking after things that you've already got so why is it that the conservative side of politics seems to find it hard to do environmental policy because essentially a lot of it's all about the same values that they value when it comes to other parts of their lives Has that ever come into your mind or like to me it sounds like a, a crazy thing that i can't I don't understand how it can't be compatible with their beliefs at times
1: yeah i know it confuses me too but i think it just has to come down to dollar and influence doesn't it yeah and that's where that disruption piece comes in like they can be values aligned with these changes but they do disrupt the status quo yeah there's no doubt about it just look at what's happening with you know with renewables and 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 fossil fuels so yeah that is what we need to massage yeah. that disruption phase yeah because if we can and we need to we need to match up everyone along these ideological lines of what a sustainable relationship with our planet looks like
0: yeah
1: otherwise we're going to be doing this for a long time to come
0: yeah and it's not really a left or right wing thing is it like if you're not if we don't have a healthy planet all of us are kind of screwed
1: yeah can't make much money on a dying planet
0: yeah and and so what's the um you know you've been you, was, you were you mentioning that you know it's the 10 year anniversary the, this year or 10 year birthday of, of take three and we were discussing a little bit before the podcast about how many um how how many actual students or uh, you've actually engaged with in those 10 years and what is that number about three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. that's like that's a lot of um, that's a lot of taken through yeah and it's a lot of um, altered minds yeah <laughs> one really <laughs> profound
1: thing so we were advertising yeah. for a position mid last year and I got an incredible number of um, applications but one application stood out didn't end up hiring the person unfortunately but the application stood out because the opening cover letter said you came and spoke to my school when I was in year six I've just finished university and I'd love to work for Take 3. that's amazing. How crazy is that? That's amazing. So here are all these young leaders, um, all young people out there now who are looking. They've they've got the fire in the belly. They want to try and help. They just need more and more opportunities to to, uh, exert that energy. So a big focus for Take 3 now moving into our second decade is going to be much more on nurturing leaders. Because we've learned a lot over 10 years. We've allowed ourselves to get to this this level this status of um where we've got a lot of respect and kudos yeah so we really want to switch that around we've uh, set up a new office space and workshop space we really want to focus much more on youth leadership
0: yeah okay on that question then because that's actually maybe an interesting thing to, to take it to a different space there's a lot of criticism of millennials and this kind of generation um you see it all the time on social media people saying they feel entitled and all this kind of stuff i mean but that that idea that um you, you get the the job application from a millennial essentially or well, I don't know what that generation is called the next one but you know saying I saw you in year six now I've finished university and I want to work with you like what's your take on that generation are they engaged enough on the issues um to, to make a difference and to really become the leaders that we need or are they hopeless
1: no definitely not hopeless I think um broadly speaking i think they are they are fantastic and they get it one of the things i love about the chance to go and talk to young people is when you illustrate this problem the first thing that they want to do is just solve it in a very common sense pragmatic approach okay the challenge i suppose we face is just trying to isolate the attention of this generation that we're referring to because it's so competitive out there. And mm. so we are gonna constantly face challenges in prioritizing this, which is why mass media and really across the spectrum, we need all the famous people in the world and the influencers to sort of band around this idea of, of sustainability and, and, and our human climate impacts, our planetary impacts, because um, otherwise I do fear that we'll continue to alienate that energy into other realms and we'll miss out like i've been speaking a bit lately just about even connection to nature yeah Um, it's going to be really increasingly difficult people growing up in urban environments with no connection whatsoever to the real authentic natural world that we occupy Mm. they're still living and breathing and eating and pooping stuff out they're still animals but they're so far removed from the reality of what that being an animal actually is
0: yeah so we've all got to be animals. We've got to understand that we are actually animals. I think so. Mm. And I don't know how we. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know what kind of campaigns we need to, to focus on to, to do that. But that's why, from Take Three's perspective, and even me from a leadership perspective, I just wanna I want to bring those those stories of nature to people, and I want to bring people to nature. Mm. I just think there's so much to be gained from that.
0: It's interesting. Um, obviously, telling stories is is maybe one of your main you mentioned a lot about the importance of telling stories and as a, as a tool for making change in the world. Um, I guess one of the things we could discuss, or one thing that I think is interesting to touch on is, um, like, you know, Hollywood movies. Like, I, I have seen in a number of films, you know, over the last few years, that there is more and more um, kind of reference to climate change. Like, there, it's becoming... There's a lot of films starting to like touch on, like, climate change consequences in the future and what does the world look like and you know kind of scaring the crap out of everyone do you think that um and and i'll and i'll talk about like speaking of throwing trash there's a classic part in um in anchorman with ron burgundy where they're walking along in a park and they're just chucking their litter on the ground and i remember seeing that and that was set in the 70s or whatever it's the most ridiculous film ever i love it um but it seems so wrong Mm. and they managed to and they really pointed out that like some things do change like it is unacceptable to litter um those do, do you think that there needs to be more of that kind of mainstream like does hollywood and all the big kind of spaces need to be more onto this to to drive that change like they are they aren't really doing enough yet are they
1: yeah i um i've had this idea with my wife but we live quite close now to palm beach we surfed there this morning yeah. um that Summer Bay, where Home and Away is filmed. I mean, imagine yeah. if the characters on Home and Away started taking three
0: for the Sea. Oh no, that's what I they mean. They left the beach. Yeah, know? exactly.
1: So I think yes, yes. There's a, an opportunity here to start those conversations, but I also recognise that Hollywood will follow what cultural norms are established.
0: Oh, okay, so you don't think whatever, they're setting them.
1: I think that it's it works both ways. You can yeah. definitely be a forerunner, and you can you can lead. But yeah. I do think also that. There's a finger on the pulse that exists across the, um, the media landscape and whatever we're doing now we are broadening this social fabric of acceptance that littering is wrong, climate change is real, our oceans aren't just a resource to be exploited and so hopefully those uh, ethos start to permeate the mainstream.
0: Yeah, and I think they already are but yeah you can, I think you it's happening, it. yeah I think it's happening for sure. I think it's happening for sure. Okay, well, you know, reflecting on a on a on a journey, you know, it's a 10-year project and um and, you know, you've you've gotten to this point now. Like, I mean, reflecting on it all, do you feel like you've achieved what you wanted? Are you satisfied with where you've gotten to with Take 3 today or do you feel like was there anything left on the on the field that you you could have done more in the last 10 years? No, I'm so chuffed with it.
1: Yeah. Um, and that really has probably only been realised in the last twelve months. There was, we even had to change our our mission and vision this last six months because we realised our old one, which is kind of that's great. That's the ideal, right? Every every charity's purpose needs to be to be obsolete, right? Do yeah. Whatever you can to achieve your goals, and so we've done a bit of a revision. Like we've got a long way to go. Like why shouldn't take three for the sea? be a movement that every single participant on this planet engages in and it's not just about doing it and celebrating it by putting an image on social media it's just about acknowledging the impact we have on our planet and being proactive and uh, uh, selfless in yeah. that recognition by mm. picking up trash by refusing a plastic straw by trying to find a way of supporting a, a more eco-friendly surf industry i mean all this stuff is part of this um you know this movement of people so yeah we'll keep going absolutely but from an individual level i just think um the oceans desperately need our help i love this new um way i'm looking at saying you know it's planet ocean. It ain't planet Earth. So yeah. what we need to really do is stop looking just at the terrestrial landscape and saying, "Don't do that. Fix this." We need to start putting a lens much more on the oceans, um, because if we screw the uh, the the balance of the oceans, then we just exacerbate the the perils of our life on land. So the oceans need you know need a heck of a lot more help. And I want to I want to go in there and and do a bit more.
0: Well, I think that's about as good as we could have ended this. Uh wonderful chat out here in the uh quasi public nature space thanks for joining me for the podcast i think um if anyone who's listening wants to learn more about take three for the sea it's uh pretty easy to google that one i don't think you can get that one wrong um and if you're not if you're not kind of following or or part of the crew on social media get to know them um thanks a lot for your efforts and um i think everyone uh hopefully took something out of this conversation about you know the simplicity of engaging with this issue, and um, and also the complexity of how to move it forward. Um, you know, what are your plans in the next few years? Like, what do you? How do you see yourself um, finishing up? Or what are you? What are your plans? Anything cool in the pipeline?
1: Yeah. Look, I just feel um, I feel really privileged and thankful that I've been able to you know, maintain a position of some standing around this issue, and yeah. that was probably part due to my commitment and part due to to timing um but i'm not going to i'm going to value that opportunity and just keep expanding my role to make sure that impact is relative because the landscape has transformed in the last 10 years Mm. and so i too need to to transform so yeah i really appreciate you know your support josh and, and the community that is around you and um i'm just thrilled that we're we're here now and we've got a really good, exciting, fulfilling journey
0: ahead. Wonderful. Thanks for joining. Thanks, mate. Boogie. Boogie. Well, if that conversation didn't inspire you, I don't know what the fuck could. Big thanks to Tim Silverwood, um, <clears throat> real gem of a man. Sorry, I'm still a bit crook. He's a he's a great guy. He's been on a mission. He's um, he's uh, he's got actions that speak louder than words, and he's a bodyboarder, hey, just like the rest of us. So um, you know, there's a few of us out there who are having a given it a good nudge, and um, I think I hope that you learnt a lot about Take Three, about the mission, about some of the ideas that have driven it. Um, there's plenty of ways to get involved. The simplest one being just pick up three pieces of trash every time you go to the beach. Um, not a, not a crazy one, but, um, if you want to learn more about take three, you can, um, get to them by Googling take three, follow them on Instagram. They are taking donations as well. They are a nonprofit, so they rely on donations and other, um, types of, um, types of giving, whatever you want to call it, philanthropy. So <clears throat> if you feel like you can donate to the cause by all means do it, um, I loved that podcast. It was just the best. So huge thanks to Tim Silverwood for his time. And I look forward to another surf with you soon, buddy.